Thank you, worship team. Kids, you are dismissed for Children's Church. And let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 18. You know, the uh, title, I realized when I wrote down Team Evangelism, there is an I in Team Evangelism. So I had to amend that and uh, have a creative spelling. But I think we get the point. Evangelism is something that isn't isolated to one individual and they're in it themselves. Evangelism is something that takes place as God moves people into places and into people's lives to share the gospel. And that's what I want us to see from Acts chapter 18, verses 18 through 28. One of the things I love in a church fellowship is the opportunity to share what God is doing in our lives. And very early on in ministry, on a Sunday night, the church fellowship that I was in, first time, uh, full-time position, we had a testimony night. And a woman got up, and we could all tell she was somewhat upset, and she started to share with us how for years she had witnessed to a friend. She had shared the gospel again and again and again, and the woman just didn't seem to grasp it. And then she was frustrated because the woman didn't continue to reject. She finally came to the place to where she put her faith in Christ, And we were wondering, well, why would that upset you? And here was her reasoning. Because I wasn't there when she made the decision. She was with someone else. Now, she really misunderstood an important principle. The gospel isn't one and done, usually, where we share the truth of God with somebody, and they immediately see the light, and they respond In fact, the Word of God describes the work of ministry and the work of sharing the gospel as kind of a team effort. Leave your finger here in Acts chapter 18 and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we have the Apostle Paul talking about someone that we're going to meet here in Acts chapter 18, Apollos. And he talks about the work of ministry that was taking place in Corinth. And in the fifth verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this is what he says after a discussion about division that was taking place in the church at Corinth. He says, what, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field God's building. That's the perspective we need to have on evangelism, whether you're a planter, a waterer, a cultivator, or a harvester. God uses us each uniquely 
to bring the good news of Jesus Christ into the lives of others. And that's what we find as we look here in Acts chapter 18, starting at the 18th verse. We find that Paul is going to shift from Corinth to Ephesus. And when he goes to Ephesus, he's going to plant the seed of the gospel. And he does this by proclaiming Christ. But first, there's some transitional information before we get to Ephesus. Look at verse 18, and it says that Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. Now, this was after the events that were described earlier in this 18th chapter, where some of the Jewish opponents to Paul came together and tried to bring him before a proconsul named Gallio. And Gallio said, I want nothing to do with it. Just go away. And Sosthenes, the head of the synagogue, was beaten uh, later to find faith, we see, in a later letter of Paul. But Paul stays and he continues the work in Corinth. And then we come to the next statement there in the 18th verse. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Now, for two to three years, Paul is doing ministry there in Corinth. And let me tell you something. I would imagine that Corinth became a place of security for Paul. If you remember back in the earlier part of the 18th chapter, Jesus had promised Paul that he wouldn't be harmed while he ministered there. A great promise, considering all that Paul had suffered before and all that Paul would suffer later, to be told that you won't have to suffer persecution or death, that meant a lot to Paul. So wouldn't it be tempting to just stay there, to stay in the comfort zone, to stay where you didn't have to face the things that Paul would face in other elements, in other climates, in other places. But you know, that's not what God had called Paul to do. When we find Paul's own words, he says this, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Paul was a planter. He would go in and lay the foundation. That was what God had called him to. He had laid a great foundation in Corinth, and Corinth was a strategic city. It was probably the second largest city in all the Roman Empire, so God left Paul there to have a witness. He said this to the Corinthians, by the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the idea of going in, being that trailblazer, being the one who would come in and plant seeds. And you know, in our congregation, I'm sure that there are seed planters. There are those who share the gospel, who break the ground, who take that seed and just put it in the ground and wait for something good to happen. What an illustration of evangelism that is. What does the farmer do when he plants the seed? He plants it, and then he waits on God to bring about the right conditions, the right elements, all of that design in the seed that God put in there. Really, the whole process, once the, once the seed is planted, is up to God. And what a picture that is of evangelism. 
as you share the gospel, you wait for God to bring the growth, to bring the increase. God is the one who takes care of that seed that's been planted. Paul recognized this. So he felt good about leaving Corinth and going on to another place of ministry, taking along with him Priscilla and Aquila, but leaving behind him men and women that he had invested his life in, that he had discipled, that they might carry on the work of the church. Now notice something else here in this 18th verse. It says, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Chantria because of a vow he had taken. Now, Centuria wasn't uh, a, a fancy stylist shop or something like this. Uh, what was going on here? Paul had made a vow, and in the custom of Judaism, when a vow was fulfilled, often to indicate closure to the vow, the hair would be cut as a very dramatic statement of closure. There's the possibility that that's what Paul is talking about here. Perhaps it was when Jesus said that he would protect Paul. Paul vowed to stay in Corinth as long as God would allow him to. We're not sure what the vow was. We do know that Paul went up to Jerusalem to fulfill the vow. That was a part of his trek. So this little nugget that Luke gives us here indicates the work of God continuing in Paul and Paul understanding that this part in Corinth had closure, it was time to move on to the next place that God had for him to minister. So then we come to verse 19. And from Corinth, the Apostle Paul, along with Priscilla and Aquila, arrive at Ephesus. Now Ephesus would be another place of challenge, a place rampant with idolatry, as many of the larger cities were. And Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila come to this city to share the gospel, and as they always do, they went to the synagogue. Because look at what the text goes on to say. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Now we know that when Paul goes into the synagogues to reason with the Jews, what he's doing is proving from the scripture that Jesus is the Messiah. He wanted to express with clarity that Jesus is the one that they should place their faith in. They should understand that Jesus is the promised one of God, the one who would deliver them from their sins, bring them into forgiveness. God was teaching through Paul in this synagogue the truth of who Jesus is. And that's what Paul wanted to do, to share the truth of Jesus. That is the seed of the gospel. You know, when we share the gospel, we need to make sure that we get our message of who Jesus is right. We have to express it with clarity. That is the heart and the core of the gospel. Get the teaching about who Jesus is wrong, and you've got the gospel wrong. Get it right, and you're sharing something that can enter into a person's heart and life and transform them by the power of God. Whether you're a seed planter or a seed waterer or a harvester, get the message of who Jesus is right, 
And that's what Paul was doing. But then we come into the next part of the passage. Paul was not able to remain at Ephesus. We're not sure why, but we do know that he left Priscilla and Aquila there, and he himself left. Because look at the 20th verse. When they had asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. And then he set sail from Ephesus. What we find in this text is, in verse 20, what Paul had to share in the synagogue resonated. They wanted to hear more about what would be shared. But here's the beautiful thing that we see in this text. Paul had a clear understanding of team evangelism. Evangelism wasn't all about Paul. He wasn't the only one who could share with someone that the gospel can change lives and change hearts and make us right with God. So you know what he did? Rather than remaining in Ephesus, which for some reason he couldn't do, what did he do? He left other planters to do the work of ministry. You know, sometimes we can be stingy with our ministry, like the woman in that illustration that I talked about right at the beginning of the sermon. We want to be the person that God uses to lead whoever that person we have in mind to Christ. We, we want to be that person. Let me say this, that is immaterial. It doesn't matter a whit whether you are the person who is standing with the person when they indicate a decision to follow Christ. What is important is that that person decides to follow Christ, embraces Him as Savior, trusts Him as the one who brings forgiveness. Billy Graham one time said this, that the vast numbers that come forward in some of his crusades have nothing to do with his message or very little. He's a harvester. The seeds have been planted, the ground tilled, people have watered. He just has the privilege of being a harvester. What we need to do is understand that the entire process of bringing the gospel to someone and having them come to personal faith in Jesus Christ is the work of God. We're just a part of God's overall plan in sharing the gospel. And you know, that takes a lot of pressure off, doesn't it? When we understand that, when we grasp the truth that God uses us to share the truth of the gospel with others, and that we're just one part of God's overall big picture, that's very freeing and it's very encouraging. Real evangelism, successful evangelism, is sharing the truth of the gospel and leaving the results with God. And let God decide whether you are a planter, a cultivator, a waterer, or a harvester. And you may be any or all of the above at any given time. God makes that determination. We leave the results with God. So here is Paul. He's there at Ephesus. He's invited to stay with the people at Ephesus. 
but he senses the leading of God to go somewhere else. He promises to come back if it's God's will, but he leaves Aquila and Priscilla with the church at Ephesus. And you know, as I was thinking about a modern application of this, I thought of China. It was such a blessing last week to be involved in the baptism of, I'm going to embarrass you, Rachel, of Rachel Chen uh, and, and her mother. It's so good to see you back with us this Sunday. What a blessing. But you know, we went out to, to lunch afterwards, and we were talking about what God is doing in China. And China is an amazing picture of how some plant, some cultivate, God gives the growth. Missionaries were cast out of China years ago. For many, they looked and they were concerned about what would happen to the church in China. Let me give you an update. It's thriving. Some number the population of Christians in China at 100 million. Higher than the population of many Christian nations. So, some planted, some cultivated. God has definitely given the increase. Why? Because it's not us, it's the message that counts. Paul understood that. And so he left Priscilla and Aquila there to do the work of the ministry. Here's something else, and we've been touching on this, but I want to emphasize it even more. Presenting the gospel is a team effort. And what amazes me is how God raises up people to share the gospel effectively. When we come to verse 23, we find that Paul goes to Antioch, and after spending time in Antioch, he set out from there and traveled from place to place through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening the disciples. So what was Paul doing? He was following up on the churches that had been planted. But then we come to verse 24, and we see one of those scenes like they do on TV where this is going on. Meanwhile, over here, this is going on. Well, this is the meanwhile. So let's see what's happening in the meanwhile. It says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Do you know what God did? God moved someone from Alexandria. Now, do you realize where Alexandria is? It's in Egypt. So here is Apollos living in Alexandria, and he moves Apollos from Alexandria all the way up to Ephesus to carry on the work of ministry. Amazing. Alexandria was a place that was known as a place of higher education. They had one of the biggest libraries in the world. There were scholars there. They were trained in philosophy and debate. They were trained in speaking and all of the techniques that go along with speaking. And here is Apollos, a Jew, who was also trained in the Scripture. He was a brilliant man, apparently, an eloquent speaker by all accounts that we find in Paul's letters. Apollos was someone that God took and God moved to another place. 
Look at how else he's described here in the 24th verse. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of Scripture. Now, I don't think Luke is using hyperbole here. I think he's talking about the reality of who Apollos was. He was a man who had studied. He was very educated, very, very learned. And in addition to the education that he had, there was a thorough knowledge of God's Word. When you look at Apollos, you see somebody who is just groomed to be a spokesman for the church. And that's what God did with Apollos. Notice verse 25. It says he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor. And look at this. He taught about Jesus accurately. So Apollos not only had all of this background in education and scripture, but he was a passionate proclaimer of Jesus. And when he preached about Jesus, he preached with accuracy. In other words, he was sharing the truth about Jesus. But then look at the last part of that 25th verse. Though he knew only the baptism of John. Now bear in mind, during the time of Acts, there is a transition that is taking place of people from Judaism to Christianity. They didn't have immediate contact, immediate information, so people would often get bits and pieces of things. Here we find Apollos understanding who Jesus is, he is the Messiah, understanding that Jesus is the Savior, but not yet understanding baptism and the importance of following the Lord in baptism. He had followed the Lord by John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance. So here is Apollos preaching sincerely, but incompletely when it came to who we need to be in following Jesus. His message on Jesus was true and accurate, but the message of what we need to do in response to Jesus as far as baptism, not where it needed to be. So what happened? We find that God moves Priscilla and Aquila into the life of Apollos. Verse 26 tells us, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Now, he already knew accurately who Jesus is, but there were fine-tuning things that needed to be brought up to speed. And I love the way Priscilla and Aquila approached this. Rather than shooting their hand up while Apollos is teaching publicly, and saying, you got it wrong, Apollos. Let me set you right. What did they do? They invited him into their home. They pulled him aside. And they said, Apollos, God has gifted you. You are being used of God mightily. But we need to share more with you about who Jesus is and what he's done. 
Now, what would have happened if Priscilla and Aquila felt threatened by Apollos, resentful that people were starting to follow him, and would have tried to undermine him by saying things against him that would have been hurtful to his credibility? The work of God would have been shut down, right? What they did was wise, in love. They approached Apollos. They shared the truth. They encouraged him with who God is and what Paul had taught them and what God was continuing to do. And you know, that's the way we need to approach things. Again, sometimes we hold on to a ministry with a tight fist. And when somebody comes up and they start to develop, you know what we do? We kick them aside and say, this is mine, don't come close, right? Ministry needs to be held with an open hand. Whereas God raises people up, we see that they are a part of the team of what God is doing in our midst. And we're on board with that. We want to join in with what God is doing. This is what Apollos and or Aquila and, uh, and Priscilla did with Apollos. But then we also have to look at Apollos. Apollos could have come in and when Priscilla and Aquila approached them, he could have said, you know, you bumpkin tent makers. Why should I listen to anything that you have to say? I have an edumacation, right? He could have said, I've studied, I know the scriptures, I can quote more scriptures than you. Look at all the people that are responding to my ministry and you're trying to tell me that I'm not doing it right? Give me a break, right? That could have been Apollos' response, but how did he respond? To his credit, he listened. He said, even with the education, even with the things that I have learned, there's more that I can learn. He was teachable. And let me say this. The essential element in growing in your relationship with the Lord and in your ministry is to be teachable. Never come to the place to where you say, I got it all figured out. You sad sacks need to catch up with me someday, right? Instead, what do we do? I'm learning, I'm growing. Let's talk. Let's learn together. That's what was going on here. That's why God blessed the ministry at the church at Ephesus and ultimately at the church at Corinth because of the attitudes of these people. God was doing a great work. Then we come to verse 27. As we come to the next part of this passage, what we find is this. We need to provide support for those who are sharing God's truth. We need to participate in sharing God's word by encouraging others. Look at what happens. Here are Priscilla and Aquila encouraging the work of Apollos, telling him that there is more that God can do in him and through him, but they want to provide support because here is Apollos wanting to go and share the work of ministry and the gospel with others because in verse 27 it says, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. 
Now, what's going on? Achaia is a province. Guess what city is in the province of Achaia? Corinth. Now, we wonder why Apollos wanted to go to Corinth to share the ministry of God's word. I would suspect that in his interaction with Aquila and Priscilla, he had heard them speak of what God was doing in Corinth. And so here he is working in Ephesus, and God lays a burden on his heart to go from Ephesus to Corinth to share the word of God. And you know what? That's exactly what he did. So look at how the church body at Ephesus responds. The brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. You know, again, sometimes churches can be very stingy. We get a person who really is excelling in ministry, and we say, he is ours. Nobody else can have him. Don't touch him. And we get very short-sighted, and we forget that the work of God extends beyond the walls of this church. So when God calls someone from one place to another place, that's where we as a church body should encourage them and expedite their moving from that one place to the other place. And that's exactly what these new believers at Ephesus did. They encouraged him. They came alongside him. They said, yes, we believe in what God is doing through you, Apollos. So let us send you on your way. Shoot, we'll even give you a good reference so that the brothers in Corinth We'll know what to expect. Isn't it great the way God works in this way? Taking people and moving them from one place to another to do his work. He has a purpose and a plan behind it. Sometimes it's unsettling. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's frustrating. But God has a purpose that's unfolding. And that's where our faith and our trust in God come in. This is where we rely on him. Not what we formulated in our minds needs to take place and how this should go down and how it should work, but understanding that God is the one who works these things and brings them about. And so that's what happened with the church and Apollos. But then we see something else. It says that on arriving there, now this would be in Corinth, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. Was it right for Apollos to leave Ephesus and go to Corinth? Absolutely right. You know why? Because God had work for him to do there in Corinth. Remember who was in Corinth? The scholars, the philosophers, all of those who would debate with the Apostle Paul. What did God do? Paul, you plant the seed, and then I'm moving this scholar in to handle the other scholars. Apollos is going to take care of business. Apollos is a man who's mentioned several times in the New Testament. Some Bible commentators even think perhaps Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews. He's an amazing, skilled man, and God used him. And when he moved him to Corinth, doing the work of ministry, what did God do? 
God used him to encourage the church there. He was of great help. And I love the way this is phrased by Luke. To those who by grace had believed. Isn't the way of faith amazing that by God's grace, he gives us the opportunity to believe? It's a beautiful way of framing the gospel, isn't it? That God, in his grace, doesn't require us to do enough to earn his favor, doesn't require us to jump through a thousand theological hoops. God opens the way of faith to us by his grace that we might know him solely on the basis of faith. Beautiful statement that's made there. But then we come to the 28th verse. And what was Apollos doing? Paul had gone to Corinth, planted the seeds. For two or three years, he planted and watered more seeds. But then look at what God did in moving Apollos there. By Paul's own words in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. Let's see at this juncture what the watering involved. Verse 28. He vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now when it says here that he refuted the Jews, the word in the original language is rather interesting. It's a word that means to overwhelm somebody in argument. So do you catch the drift of what's going on? You have all of these scholars, all of these philosophers, all of these theologians when it came to Judaism and Greek mythology. And here God sends Apollos. He had prepared him do the work of ministry, and he blessed them with great success. His ministry was overwhelming as people heard what he had to share, the logic behind it, the truth behind it of God's word. It was overwhelming. You can almost picture the people standing there with their mouths hanging open saying, what do I say? How do I address this? Apollos was sharing the truth of God and look at how he did this. <clears throat> he refuted the Jews in public debate. So the, the picture is almost like a large gathering where Apollos is speaking the truth of God. And it's almost like a debate, a, a panel discussion, if you will. And he is overwhelming them in the panel discussion. But how did he do it? Look at the last statement of that 28th verse. Proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. What was his source? It wasn't the philosophy. It wasn't his eloquence. It was the message of the gospel, the truth of God, proving from scripture that Jesus is the Christ. I love Paul's words to the Corinthians when he said this, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing 
while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling, but on God's power. We have that same gospel, that same message. I don't want any of you to leave here thinking, wow, I'm not an Apollos, so I don't really need to share the gospel because I'll never overwhelm anyone with what I share. Let me tell you something. If you are a vessel used by the Spirit of God to do the work of God, you can overcome anything. And you don't need eloquence and wisdom and all of those things to be used of God. Know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Share that with others and they will find faith in Christ by the power of that message. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for people that you raise up and use in a very special way, in a very unique way. But God, we also thank you for those of us who are just simple followers. And yes, we too can be used of you in amazing ways. We thank you that in our weakness, your strength is perfected. And we would ask, Lord, that we would be obedient to your call to share the gospel with those around us, counting on the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the message to the hearts of men and women and children around us that they might find the truth about Jesus. May we know nothing but Christ crucified. And may we proclaim it with clarity and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.